Welcome to Growth Marketing Today, where marketers, designers, and product owners level up their growth marketing chops from experts in today's top startups. Here's your host, Ramley John. Welcome to the 13th episode of Growth Marketing Today. In this episode, I have Ethan Gar. He's the VP of product at Teltech Systems. He discusses how he kickstarted the growth process at that company. I actually ran across Ethan from an article he wrote on Conversion Excel that just blew up. It was shared by Sean Ellis himself. Now, this episode is full of growth wisdom from a guy who worked directly with Sean Ellis before. You're going to find out why you need a cheerleader for the growth process in your company and also learn how to structure your growth team to run the growth process. Now, if you want the high-level outline and quotes, and man, is there a lot of quotes from Ethan because there's so much, like I said, growth wisdom in here. Check out the quotes at growthmarketing.today forward slash 013. That's growthmarketing.today forward slash 013. Ethan is actually going to be speaking at a panel on the Growth Hackers Conference happening on February 6, 2018 in San Diego, California. Check it out at growthhackers.com forward slash conference to find out what other speakers is going to be happening there. I'm going to try to make it out at the conference. It seems like there's so many cool people that's happening there. I've actually three or four of the people who's going to be on that conference will be on this podcast. So I'm pretty excited. Well, here's my chat with Ethan. Hey, everyone. I have your Ethan from Teltech. How are you doing, Ethan House, New Jersey? Uh, doing great. It's nice here. A little cold, but... Uh... Good time of year. No, that's so true. I know while uh, we had our first snowfall here in Toronto, so man, it's cold. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I really love your article on Conversion Excel. I know you talked a little bit about how you can kickstart growth in a company, but before we talk about growth or anything that you put in that article, which was so valuable, even Sean Ellis shared it, which is so cool, right? Yeah, I was um, pretty excited. Maybe you can tell a little bit about your career journey so far. Like, how did you get to be where you're at right now? Yeah, pretty convoluted story to get here. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll try to give you the shortened version, but it's not so short. So I'm at Teltech here in South Amboy, New Jersey, which one of my friends nicknamed Silicon Amboy because we have such a cool office space here. To get here, I actually started almost 20 years ago. Right out of college, I got a job working for a team competing in the Whitbread Round the World Yacht Race, which later became the Volvo Ocean Race. And... Uh, I wish I could say I was a professional sailor, which sounds like a really cool job, but I was just on the shore crew and really had no idea what I was doing. And ironically, the syndicate fell apart because the owner of the team, who was a, uh, a really great person, an oncologist, was scammed out of a few million dollars by, oh, man. by a really bad guy. And the, I say it's ironic because now I spend most of my days uh, fighting scams with our product RoboKiller and TrapCall, which both uh, block robocalls and telemarketing calls. So... That's where I started. And uh, when that fell apart, I was kind of lost and didn't know what to do. I kind of wanted to move back to DC where I went to school, but I was broke. So I got a job working for a public relations firm in Manhattan. And I'm pretty confident when I got that job, I didn't even know what public relations was. So (laughs) confused still to this day how I got the job. But um, I was there for about a year and a quarter and I don't think I was very good at PR, but I loved writing. I was, you know, I was an English major. So I sort of found my niche there sort of as like, I don't want to say I was like the staff writer, but I did a lot of the writing because I was definitely an awful pitch guy. I was not the right guy to get on the phone with reporters. So uh, I did that and then I got sick of it and said, I'm leaving. I told my boss I was quitting and he said, no, you can't quit. 
I'm just about to promote you. So you're going to spend three more months here. And if you still want to go to DC, you can open an office for us there, which sounded great because I was like 22. I don't even know if it was true, but it certainly kept me for a few more weeks. And that was kind of a pivotal time because in that three month period, I met my wife, which that worked out well. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) And I also got poached by one of our clients. We were working for a bunch of tech clients. This is during the dot-com boom, the first one. And I got poached by my client, Uproar.com. And I got there, I thought, wow, I'm important. I'm the head of PR for this you know, big top 10 uh, web property. And then within two months, we bought another company and I lost my job because they had two PR people with a lot more experience than oh, I Oh man. <laughs> so that quickly evolved into a business development role. My boss got fired within two months and then I was in another role and then another role. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. And I went to this VP who I was friends with and I said, I'm quitting because I really don't have a job here. And he said, you know, I have this role I think you'd be perfect for helping me optimize and test our banner ad campaigns. So this is in the days of like 468 by 60 banners. And that was a pivotal moment for me because that vice president of digital marketing was Sean Ellis. And Sean, this is long before he coined the term growth hacker. You're right. But he really had a vision and approach to marketing that I thought was just, you know, really exciting and interesting. And he was really looking at data and trying to optimize around that. And even back then, he had this idea of, you know, testing and optimizing, testing and optimizing and iterating. And he was relentless about it. And it was eye-opening for me. And we just had a great relationship. He, um, I think, appreciated that I brought, I tried to bring a lot of creativity to the process. I was pretty well versed in key messaging from my days in PR. So, you know, I really was focused on audience-centric approach to things. He was focused on the analytics side of things. And um, it was really just a good combination. And uh, we had a lot of fun and I learned just a tremendous amount. Eventually, the dot-com bubble burst. I lost my job. A year later, I got hired back by the company that had bought Uproar, uh, which ended up being Vivendi Universal. And from there, I kind of transitioned more into product roles and project management and product management roles. And I really enjoyed that. I found kind of a sweet spot there. Then I thought I'd do something entrepreneurial. So I opened up a do-it-yourself public woodshop because nice. that, that sounds like a great idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I spent other people's money or lost their money pretty effectively, actually. But I tried really hard and I learned a bunch of stuff about growth and um, hard knocks. And then I made a bad move and I joined a business, kind of a quasi-family business that was a uh, jewelry distribution company. Okay. And uh, actually, that's what brought me to Toronto quite a bit. But it wasn't a good fit for me. The environment was sort of toxic, which is sort of the Mm. opposite of what I am in Mm. now because we're just very culture-driven, just a really wonderful company driven by passionate people. But I knew I had to get out of that. And about three years ago, I wanted to get back into technology, but that's awfully difficult when you've been out of it for a decade. (laughs) Um, But my connection to it was I was really still engaged in the growth hacking community. And I was constantly reading about it, learning about it, doing, you know, trying to just stay current. And just because I was always passionate about it. And with a friend of mine who was a recruiter, we had this idea that we could help companies who are now trying to find growth hackers. And just surprisingly, there was this company in South Amboy, New Jersey, which is not known as a tech capital, that was looking for a growth hacker. So I sent them an email that said, I see you're looking for a growth hacker. Can I buy you lunch? Um, Nice. (laughs) Definitely the most valuable email I've ever sent. So I had a conversation with the two founders, Mayor Cohen and Ellie Finkelman. I came in here and I was just blown away by 
what they were doing and really how they were doing it. Their just passionate approach to these to making apps that help people with common communications issues. And I came in here really pitching this idea that I could help them find a growth hacker. But within about I think 25 minutes of that, the beginning of that conversation, they asked what it would take to get me to work here. And I will say that that was very magical for me. And I swore at that moment, I thought they were taking, you know, pretty significant risk on me. And I just swore that every day I was here, I was going to make sure that they felt like I was, uh, that decision was a good decision. So Mm. that's what I've been trying to do for three years. We've grown quite a bit. We've put together a really awesome team and it's just super exciting. So I'm not sure if you're looking for that long of a uh, no, that's perfect. career journey, but yeah. <laughs> that's how yeah. I got here. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great to hear because like the reason why I love asking that question is that, you know, people from growth come from different places. Like some of them come from computer science background. Some of them come from English majors. Some of them come from, I met somebody who came from a biomedical background and now doing growth. So just a story about that. It's fascinating you've done like many different things like PR and like more customer centric stuff and then product. Is that how you would define growth marketing as? It's like this amalgamation of different ways to just acquire users that will stick around. How would you say the difference between like growth hacking or growth marketing versus just traditional marketing or digital marketing? Yeah, it's a good question. I probably don't get too hung up on the, uh, like, I'm definitely not one of those people who like looks down at like traditional marketing. Like <laughs> no, right. You know, I see a place for it. I mean, look, today we're recording a um, ABC7 in Chicago is recording a piece with uh, one of our customers about RoboKiller. And that happened because of a very traditional marketing effort. Um, right. You know, as much as I say, I don't like getting on the phone with reporters or I'm not good at it. Um, That's how we did that. You know, that's how that came about. I mean, it's, you know, looking at data and analyzing it and doing the things that I associate with growth marketing. So I think there's a place for lots of these different aspects. I think growth marketing does, as you say, it's, it is an amalgamation of all of those things. It syncs all those things together in, in meaningful ways. But I think what does tie it together is that relentless pursuit of optimization and iteration. Mm. connected directly to data. I think that's sort of, for me, where growth marketing comes together. And I think, you know, all those things, I actually, I heard the podcast with the guy who came from the uh, biomedical field. So I I thought that was pretty interesting as well. (laughs) I think what connects everybody in this this sort of growth marketing, growth hacking world is that passion, you know, that connection that, you know, if we follow this process, we can grow. And, you know, you go to these conferences and like at every conference, somebody says like, you know, there is no prescription for growth. I can't give you a growth hack that's going to work right. for you. And it's true, but I, it's the one place where I feel like there is prescription is like, if you read Hacking Growth, Sean Ellis and Morgan Brown's book, like, you know, that idea, identify that you have product market fit, identify your growth levers, put together a team and run high tempo testing. If you do that and you really run these cycles it's sort of hard to see how that process won't work, right? I mean, now, well, at least it will work to help you grow. Now, that doesn't mean that your growth equals success, right? You could be growing, but not growing fast enough mm. to beat your run rate or whatever those different challenges may be. But it is a prescription for success to, at least within the confines of, if you do this, you should be able to grow. I mean, unless all your ideas are bad. Um, and all your experiments are bad, you should be able to grow. But of course, there's lots of nuance in, in there. And I think that's what I was trying to get across in that article is that there's definitely a difference between, you know, what you read, what you see and what you hear about growth and the nuts and bolts of actually getting it to happen and getting it all to work. Mm-hmm. And 
it comes with a lot of lumps and bruises. You got to make a lot of mistakes and you have right. to, and what I'm most passionate about is being very cognizant of the mistakes, trying not to make them twice, but really celebrating them. In fact, I learned that from a guy who worked at a company in Toronto and he was one of the crazier guys I knew. He was a wingsuiter actually, this guy, Derek, and he was an amazing guy. And he used to tell me that his company, that if someone made a mistake, he used to make them jump up on a table and yell, fuck yeah, I made a mistake. <laughs> um, and his point was that I don't want to blame people for making mistakes. What I want them to do is teach others the mistakes they made and not hold them in and pretend they didn't happen. And I, like, that's something we really, we really celebrate here and we try to do here because we believe in it, you know, and uh, especially with a young, passionate team, We've got great people on this team but we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to screw up. And the key is to be able to share those in a way that everybody's learning. Because especially with mm. a portfolio of products, if we're not sharing that across the portfolio, we're really wasting cycles and you know, spinning our wheels. No, that's so good. I think I've had another discussion with another growth person about that tension between, you know, like there's this tension that you want to achieve success and then being like sure-footed almost. And then on the other hand, there's this experimental and the word mistake and experimentation. If you say that into a, a traditional marketing team, they would be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> talking about failure and mistakes, like that's bad. You know, that's how you get fired, right? But right. it's almost that celebration of the learning itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually, I'm doing a follow-up blog post to the one I wrote. That's really case studies of things that, you know, tests that went wrong. And, and my point is not, you know, to show off like tests that just, you know, they failed because, you know, the idea wasn't successful. I want to show the tests that failed to get off the ground for one reason or another. We made some mistake or some error in putting the test together that failed. Those are much worse, right? Those are the costly ones because you didn't get any benefit from them. You didn't get the learning of that you were trying to get from your hypothesis. The only learning you got is, well, we didn't want to make that mistake. I mean, which is <laughs> It's valuable. And then after that, I promise I'm going to write a blog post that celebrates some of the good stuff that we've done because it makes it sound like all we've done is, is make errors and gaffes. But uh, again, I'm really proud of the team that we have and all the good things that we have done. A lot of good people working hard to be successful. And I think it's definitely um, the results are something we all share. Nice. No, that's great to hear. I'm going to ask you about that in a bit, but let's jump on the article that you wrote for Conversion Excel. You were talking a little bit about how to kickstart growth in a company. Can you talk a little bit about like that article itself and how would you kickstart growth in a company that's more rooted in a linear path to doing marketing or growth? Yeah, I think, you know, the three kind of themes that I talked about in that article are, you know, this relentless passion for growth, coming up with organizational processes that really fit your team and your structure. And then just being smart and realistic about data. And I didn't go too far into this sort of into the part about relentless passion for growth, because mm. I feel like everybody who's listening to your podcast, everybody who goes to these conferences, everybody who's engaged in this community probably already has that, that part of them. I was once accused by one of my colleagues of being the company's cheerleader for growth, which I really feel like is one of the great compliments that I've ever uh, <laughs> given. Because, look, every company needs that, right? You need somebody who is going to cheerlead the process, really evangelize the process, mm -hmm. and encourage people to do it. Because it will, at times, break down. Undoubtedly, you will, right. as, as you're trying to run experiments, you'll make mistakes that break it down. You'll go into a growth meeting 
really well prepared with an agenda, only to find out that none of your experiments that you had planned from the week before actually got off the ground for one reason or another, or the experiment you're really excited about broke because, you know, an engineer made a decision that broke something that you weren't expecting. Those things are going to happen. And somebody has to be the person who kind of, you know, mentors you through those, those time periods. But I think you either have that or you don't. Like, I don't know, like if you don't have, <laughs> if you're not passionate about growth, like this is probably not the role for you. Go do something else that you are passionate about. Mm, right. I mean, we have people who probably wouldn't be the right person to be that cheerleader in the company. That doesn't mean that they're not valuable. They're super <laughs> valuable. They just do other things. How would you cheerlead that situation? So let's say none of the experiments worked out. So Ethan, the cheerleader, what would you like cheer people on? You know, what would you say? What would you do to that situation? Well, I always would try to go back to what can we learn from what isn't going right Right. or what is going right. I think I've mentioned to you sort of that magical first meeting I had here with the two founders of our company. I remember on the wall, there was a sticky note that said 80% of our customers don't come back after their first visit. This is for another product line or company that they had. I said, you know, it's just a sticky note and said 80-20. And I remember saying to them, you know, I think maybe what I've learned in my career is that you can't just focus on the 80% that didn't come mm. back. You got to focus on the 20% who right. did. Like, it's easy to get mired in the stuff that doesn't work instead of looking at the things that do work. So I think if we were in that situation specifically where kind of everything was going wrong, I would start by looking for the things that were going right and talk to the team about what we can do to sort of leverage those further? How can we use those to get out of this little rut we're in? And really encourage people to understand that it's just a rut and try to remember the things that we have done that have gone well, that we were able to use, you know, what we've done to get over it. And to, you know, to realize that it's a staged process, right? The very first set of tests you run probably won't have the best hypothesis that you've ever run. So which one was the best of the group? And what can we learn from that one? How can we maybe change the dynamic there? So I think it's always, you know, everybody in life sometimes needs to like a little system restart. And I think sometimes <laughs> it's good to have somebody who's there who can do it for you. I think my two bosses are good at doing that for me. Uh, sometimes if I get into a little rut, you know, right. uh, they'll remind me like, you know, hey, they'll sometimes be very direct. Like, hey, Ethan, you know, what's with you? You're in a rut. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, you're right. But uh, I think That's funny. that trickles down when you're leading growth. I think it's really important to be the person to just be encouraging. Mm. And, you know, if things aren't going well, I think what's key is to be able to look back and say, look, a lot of companies have done this successfully. And there are a lot of examples here of people who have done it successfully. Let's not throw away the process because the whole process, because our process isn't working properly. Let's adapt our process so that it can be successful. No, that's so good. I think you're right. You know, when there's things are not going well as a leader, you have to be that guy to just encourage the team. You said something while you were talking about that, about having like a good hypothesis. I feel like that's a really good basis for the experiments. It's like if you don't, I remember Sean, I was talking about how the reason why people don't know if their things are successful or not is because they didn't write a hypothesis right at the beginning. (laughs) Can you talk a little bit about like how teams can write great hypothesis? Do you have a formula or a template or do you just, you know, if X and then Y results? Yeah, no, I I do have a template, but let me tell you sort of about, you know, what Sean's describing is true. Like not having any hypothesis, which believe me, we've done too, um, (laughs) is definitely not a good recipe for success. I agree with that wholeheartedly, but you can write a bad hypothesis too. And Mm. the, the format of a bad hypothesis is 
by changing X into Y, something will happen. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, When I was interviewing data scientists, somebody explained sort of this part to me, and he called that exploratory hypothesis. Mm. And the problem with it is it actually can work sometimes. I mean, sometimes, you know, something will happen, but actually inevitably something will happen. Very rarely does nothing happen. And sometimes the best thing to happen and with that kind of hypothesis is nothing can happen because then you don't mess anything up even further. <laughs> but the problem with that kind of hypothesis is that you start to see results that just aren't real, right? Mm. Because people get passionate and excited about their ideas and they should. I mean, that's great. But if you're passionate about an idea and you turn that into an experiment and you do it, but all that the result is, is that something happened you start looking for ways to bend that result into something positive. And then you try to iterate from there. And that might not be a good idea. In fact, there's a very good chance it's not a good idea. <laughs> so at uh, Conversion Excel 2015, Michael Agard, who I believe works at Unbounce now, he had a, a formula which I thought was really good. And it was, to paraphrase, is by changing X into X, I expect to see Y, and thereby we will affect Z. Mm. Um, and if you look at those, they're all very numbers driven. So when we write a hypothesis, at the end of it, we say, by changing this thing, we expect to see this move X percent, which will have this effect on this, which we expect to see 10 to 12%, whatever those numbers are. Right. But I think it's really important to tie those things to numbers. A good hypothesis informs good success metrics. And that's really what you need. I mean, I talk a lot about vision documents in my article. And a vision document is really this, you know, where you put an experiment together with a summary and objectives, you know, the sharp hypothesis that's really measurable, and then all of the success metrics that you're going to try to evaluate through this experiment. And if those things are tied to numbers, you will see something that's measurable and, and accurate, right? Like, hey, we did this and we moved our average order value 11%. We expected to see 5%. We saw 11%. Hey, that's a win. We Move this 3%, we expected to see 6%. It's a loss. And if you keep doing this, what happens is as you start developing these vision documents, the other thing you start to think about, you start thinking ahead and you say, what will we do with success, right? Because if you're in this process and you believe in optimization, it's not just about running tests and occasionally being successful. It's about doubling down on success. Mm. I think one of the mistakes we make is that when I say we, I say as a growth community, is we get so excited about our ideas is that when we have a win, instead of really focusing on trying to do it, double down and triple down on that win, we go to the next idea that we were excited about. (laughs) That's true. The next idea has a much better chance of failing than an iteration of one that was successful. So yeah, so I think that's the, you know, I think if you're building a hypothesis, the best thing you can do is tie it to specific numbers and a specific result. And at the same time, think about all the success metrics you're going to be able to measure. And that also is super helpful because if you have good data analysts on your team, which I talk about extensively, a good data analyst who's involved in the process from the beginning is going to be able to tell you from that hypothesis and those success metrics, whether you actually have the data available to answer those, that question that the hypothesis presents. There's nothing worse than running a test and at the end of it saying to the person who ran the test, how's it going? How did it do? And the person saying, we don't know because we don't have the data. It's like, well, why did we run the test? It wasn't a test if we couldn't get the answer to it. But, and again, I think that's what a vision document and a hypothesis can do is it gets all the stakeholders and everybody on your team to rally around the test from the very beginning. It helps you look at and identify the potential issues that you might run into. 
before you start experimenting. And really, this is one of my favorite benefits of a really good organizational process of experimentation is that it gets everybody thinking, is this the minimum viable product? Is this the simplest way to do this test? So many times we've run tests where later on we were like, you know, we could have just made an icon with a button and learned the same exact thing instead of spending two weeks of developer time to do it. And only with time and kind of doing that over and over, do you kind of realize that you can do that? You go to your growth meeting and part of your growth meeting is backing up and saying, hey, let's look at the bigger picture here, guys. Is there a simpler way to do this? And I think when your whole team is saying, is there a simpler way to do this? That's when you really start to get good results in in terms of driving that high tempo testing cadence, um, which is so important. Nice. No, that's great to hear. That's so true about having a great hypothesis. You already started to get into it, like what your cadence looks like and what your growth process looks like at Teltech. Can you talk a little bit about that? And at the same time, for my listeners who don't know what Teltech Systems is, like, can, can you say a few words about what the company does and then me talk a little bit about your growth process and growth theme there? Sure. One of my favorite topics is uh, to talk about Teltech. <laughs> Perfect. You're the cheerleader for the company, right? <laughs> Well, only because I truly believe in it. I love what we do here. I love the team and we're a big family. And when I say team, I mean the whole team, not just our growth team. We are a passionate group of people who develop mobile apps that are consumer facing and they help people with common problems on their mobile phones. So the one that I was mentioning is RoboKiller. We won the FTC's RoboKillers, RoboCalls Humanity Strikes Back competition, (laughs) but it's our app that stops RoboCalls and telemarketers from ever reaching their phone. That's cool. Um, Yeah. And what's cool about it is that not only do we block at any given time, 130,000 or so of these awful, annoying calls, but we actually answer them too with our own army of answer bots, which are uh, (laughs) robots that talk back to the telemarketers, which is fun and hilarious. And I definitely encourage you to go to our robokiller.com website to listen to them on robo radio. Okay. Uh, But they actually serve a really important purpose. They do two things. One is they give us time to do audio fingerprinting and apply machine learning to the process of understanding who these callers are. So even if they're spoofing numbers, we're able to adapt to the change numbers really quickly. But it also allows us to waste spammers time, which we believe will put them out of business. So last month, we wasted over 12,000 hours of spammers time. And that's just the tip of the iceberg, but we're making an impact and we hear it in their frustration with our answer box. So that's RoboKiller. And then we have three other great products, actually four. Tape Call and Call Recorder allow you to record phone calls on your iPhone and save them to the cloud and then share them. So uh, reporters love them. (laughs) We have uh, Trap Call, which unmasks block calls. So if you're getting harassed by people who are calling you from block caller ID, we can actually show you who's calling. That also gives you a full suite of protection from harassing phone calls, whether they're spammers and scammers to just numbers you want to look up. So it's a really full-featured product in that respect. And then Spoof Card allows you to change your caller ID to protect your identity. So uh, nice. like my stepfather's a veterinarian. He uses it to, uh, if he needs to call a patient back in the evening, he'll call as if it's from his animal hospital. So it allows him to keep his mobile number his own. So really products we think help people every day and that we're really proud of because of that. And like I said, we're passionate about it because it's a portfolio of products. So it's definitely a challenge to make all of those sing all the time. But from our perspective, you know, even though, I mean, spoof card's 11 years old, but even though some of these products are more mature, we're trying to extract growth from them every day. And we've been really successful in that. So we don't look at products as something that you set and forget. We look at products that as something you innovate on continuously. Mm. And I would say we have a culture of innovation here. And I think that's why I 
wake up every day excited to come here. Nice. No, that's great to hear. So what does your growth theme look like? Do you have one for each of the products? And then what does your process look like for each of those themes or your whole team together? Yeah, it's a great question because it's actually something that um, we've sort of recently transitioned. I would say we used to have a sort of development. We had our team, like development teams, like our front end and back end teams were sort of one unit. And when a product needed their services, we sort of, we shared those services. And we sort of had to do that at the time because I think, you know, we didn't have quite enough people to sort of support individual teams. But I think about eight months ago, we moved to more of a product team sort of alignment. And for a while, our product marketing team, we would use our weekly product marketing meeting as our growth meeting. You know, we would use part of it as our growth meeting. And that sort of worked. But where we had a problem is like, if one product, if we started really getting into the weeds about a test, another team was sort of lost as to the value of that test. Because yeah, they needed the high level stuff to understand like, oh, you guys are testing this pricing. And let me see how I can learn from that. But sort of the nuances of that experiment, sort of, it was, you know, I think they started to tune out because it was so far into what they were doing. So only recently we moved to actually dedicated growth teams within mm. each product team. And um, we've sort of been rolling that out. We actually hired another marketer yesterday. So I'm really excited because uh, we're a little strapped in that department. And what we want to do is have each product running its own growth meeting as part of their, oh, cool. their system. Yes, about our sort of our, our process. So Hack and Growth and uh, really talks about sort of a weekly growth meeting. We actually run every other week, uh, which we found for our products right now is the best way for us to maintain that high tempo testing cadence. We found that we weren't getting statistical significance on our tests fast enough where a one week iteration, we would come in and we we're excited to hear how a test was doing, but it was too much. We were getting sort of the, we don't know yet. Um, oh no. Okay. So the every other week process has been working, but really, you know, again, I think what we're talking about here, it is sort of prescriptive in like this sort of overreach overarching process, but how you run it for your company, I think you really have to adapt to your team and your needs. Mm. So even though it's, we're sort of running it every two weeks for all of our teams right now, if next week the tape call team says, you know, we really need to go to a weekly growth meeting or even two weeks is, is too constricting for us, we have to be able to adapt to that and adjust our process. Our vision documents are unique to our company. I'm sure other companies have their variations on them. And, you know, some people probably use it, you know, they're not a Google doc like we use it, you know. You know, some people are probably doing it more in their ticketing system. Like if they're using Growth Hackers projects, they're probably using it right in the ticket system effectively. For us that, you know, it didn't work in the ticket itself. But if you're not adapting and optimizing and using sort of tuning your own growth process constantly, um, I think you'll have problems as well. So I think it's, that's really important to you. So we spend some time, I'd say every product meeting now where we're really talking about global wins and losses each week as a team so that everybody can learn. It's also wins and losses across our processes and our systems so that everybody can learn how to adopt them into their particular team in the most meaningful way. No, I like that. And it seems like you're not just doing growth for your product, but you're doing growth for your process. You're doing growth for your, you're experimenting on what works and what doesn't. That's awesome. Yeah. We sort of just live in, and breathe growth as much as possible. I think, <laughs> I think I'd probably say the, the word about a thousand times a day. I'm sure that's making a few people here sick, but uh <laughs> Look, it's what we do. I mean, I was tasked with one thing to help the company grow, you know, and that has to be our mentality. It's, you know, every objective that we set for the company should be about growth. No, that makes sense. Now, in terms of those teams, how does the makeup look like? You have a, a marketer, you have a designer, then you have a data analyst and then a developer, or 
what does the individual makeup of that team looks like for Teltech? Yeah. So yeah, ideally it would be, you know, one person, one team kind of thing. We're not quite there yet. We're just under 50 people and as in total and our product marketing team, I think with this new hire is around 12 people or 13 people. So we've definitely invested heavily in it, but, um, every team has both front end and back end developers, at least one front end developer, at least one back end developer. In some cases, for our more technically complex products, two backend developers. We have a design team that is a shared resource across mm. the products. We have two designers and one front end developer who make up our design team. They're a team within our team in product marketing. And I think for us, that's been really important because designers are your biggest ally in this growth process. And you should really, like, their role in growth is not just putting pixels on the screen. And we're fortunate to have really talented designers who they are passionate about growth and they really contribute to that. You know, they argue for what they believe is the best way to shape these experiments in a way that's going to be successful. And I think that was, that's really important to us. We also have now two data analysts and they're shared across the products because obviously with four products, you need more than two data analysts. And that's an area where we're super passionate about data. And those were two of the most important hires we've made, but it's also an area where we uh, you never want to grow your team quicker than you're ready to, to grow it, I think. I mean, just throwing bodies at it and not really having a good plan for them, especially if your teammates are sort of younger and less experienced, which is not to say that they're not fantastic. It just means that they haven't had you know, the breadth of experience of having worked at a lot of different companies. I think if you grow too fast, what happens is you have a lot of people who are kind of, they're waiting for more direction than you have available mm. to give them. We're definitely passionate about hiring self-starters, but everybody deserves to have good mentors and good guidance in that process. So we're all trying to be part of that process as well. Nice. No, that's good to hear. It's really good to hear. We do have, every team is led by its own dedicated product owner. Oh, okay. All right. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah. that person's managing the team and then they're reporting to you. So. Yeah. I mean, I look at my job as in that mentoring role and really facilitating things mm-hmm. and trying to really help keep blockers out of their way and facilitate ideation and the growth process. So I guess reporting is the, the proper term, but not, <laughs> right. uh, I definitely try, you know, mentor. Uh, right. Yeah. I definitely like, I think leadership isn't about, you know, standing up and saying I'm the boss. It's saying, how can I help you be successful in your role? So that's where we are and what I'm really trying to do as in that role. No, awesome. In terms of mentoring, what would be some of your advice for you know people who are, who are studying right now or doing something else, maybe in sales, and they're trying to get into growth or product? What are some tips that you have for them with your years of experience and just running your own team? I think the best thing you can do is identify something that you're really passionate about within growth and really study that hard and try to become a subject matter expert in it. You know, that's easier said than done, right? If you're in school, like how do you become an expert on, you know, testing with this tool or whatever, or, you know, so of course internships are super valuable, but I think your tenacity in getting in front of the right people is important. And, you know, not being afraid to offer your services for free is a good idea. My, um, my grandfather taught me that after he got out of, uh, he was working at the Brooklyn Navy Yard during World War II. And he was passionate about boats and he wanted to go work for this boat builder. And they were like, we would love to have you, but we don't have any money to hire employees. And it was like two guys. And he said, okay, how about if I work for you for free for a month? And he did. And after that, you know, he learned boat building and, you know, it was something he, that he he ended up taking it into other 
parts of woodworking and furniture making. You know, he believed in, he was passionate about it and he wanted to learn it and he threw himself into it and he said, uh, let me do this. Now, you can't just expect that if you knock on someone's door and say, I'll do this for free, that they will absolutely you know, take you up on it. But, you know, if you pick the right thing that they, that's a need that they need to fill, a lot of companies will take a chance on you and give you that opportunity. And if they're smart, they'll pay you too. Um, as soon as they can. Because, uh, you know, good, passionate people are always a prize when you, and when you find them. So, you know, I think putting yourself out there, it's definitely worthwhile to try to be active in the community, the growthhackers.com community, um, conversion excels community. If you get out there and you pose questions, you know, ask questions, you publish articles, tell stories, you know, stories of things you've learned. It's amazing how, how people connect with you. I mean, I'm blown away by sort of the response to this, the blog post I did for Conversion Excel. And I think it's just that why it's been successful, you know, certainly, you know, I think it's because it resonated with people who are in this stage of their process. They're struggling with elements of the growth process. And it's not that they don't believe in it or they don't want it to be successful. It's not that they're not the cheerleaders for growth or they're passionate. It's just that it's hard. I mean, it's... (laughs) not everything goes the way you want it to go. In fact, right, lots of things go haywire and you've got to, you know, control the chaos. Yeah. I even try like to say like, you know, much of this is, like I said, it's, you make mistakes, you learn from them and you try to go out and make new mistakes the next day. So. <laughs> That's so good. Hey, thank, I just want to thank you so much. Before we end, is there any uh, promotions or shout outs that you want to do? Like where can people find the apps that you have for Teltech and do you have a, your own personal blog or Twitter? Where, where would you like to send my listeners to? Sure. Well, definitely check out Teltech at teltech.co. There is a teltech.com. That's a different company. So <laughs> yeah, yeah right. so check out teltech.co. RoboKiller, TrapCall, TaperCall, and SpoofCard are all in the app stores. And certainly if you go to our, any of their, their websites, uh, just trapcall.com, robokiller.com, you can learn all about them. So that's a great place to check us out and what we do. I'm on LinkedIn. My Twitter handle is at Capri Sailor. That's C-A-P-R-I Sailor, S-A-I-L-O-R. And uh, yeah, like I said, um, one of the cool things that came out of this article is I just got ex- invited to uh, be on a panel at Growth Hackers 2018. Oh, nice. Wow. Which, uh, yeah, it's a huge honor. I'm super excited right. about it. I went to it last year. It's an absolutely fantastic conference. We're uh, bringing our whole team this year because uh, it was so valuable. So yeah, feel free to anybody who wants to ask me questions or reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk about this stuff because I, I love it. So Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ethan. I thank you for your time this morning. Oh, it's been awesome. I, I really appreciate being on the podcast and I've really enjoyed listening to them as well. Awesome. Thank you. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening on this episode. One of the quotes that Ethan said is, If you're not passionate about growth, this is probably not the role for you. Go do something else. Man, that is just cold burn. But it's true. I think with growth and the whole process, there will be times when you just want to give up and quit. I think the passion and just belief that, you know, the the whole system will work will carry you through on the roll. And if you're going to give up, might as well give up now. That sounds like a terrible advice. But it's the truth that, uh, that Ethan shared in this episode. If you want to learn more about what happened in this episode and quotes, go to growthmarketing.today forward slash 013. I suggest you do. There are so many good quotes from this episode that you probably miss. I've written it down in that website, that page. Now, if you like this podcast, please subscribe to this on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
can even sign up for our Insider Club community at Gold Marketing today to get the latest news and join our members-only Slack community. If you have any feedback or questions, please say hi. Send me a short email at ramley at goldmarketing.today. Other than that, this is Ramley from Goat Marketing Today, and don't stop growing. Passion, passion,